Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Holy God, give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and courage to follow you. Pour out your spirit in this place that we may see more hope, more peace, more joy, and more love. Amen. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. I will never forget November 21st, 2012. Now to some of you, sadly, this date means nothing. It may be a blip on the radar, a day like any other day. To others of us here in this room, it was a game changer. It was a day that is etched on our hearts and souls as people. It was the day that Hostess announced that the Twinkie production was going to stop. <laughs> now some faithful clergy called for a national day of prayer, and others took to the streets to petition the powers that be, but we all, as Americans, mourned that day. And I was dumbfounded. How could a staple, the Twinkie, of the American diet go out of fashion? How could it just be gone? I wasn't entirely sure. But luckily for us, this isn't how the story ended. For 10 months, about how long it takes to incubate a child, maybe a Christ child. Americans struggled and finally at long last, Twinkie production resumed nationwide on July 15th, 2013. Choruses of angels broke out, hallelujahs, praise be to God, Twinkies are back again. And there was joy in America. But I wonder how many of you have been there, right? Whether it's kind of silly dates like that you might remember or news. Uh, you're minding your own business, and something uh, comes along, and it's sort of unbelievable. you got to do a double take, right? I saw that Twinkies weren't being made. I was like, what? That's impossible. Uh, it's unbelievable. Hard to believe. The news, right, whether it's serious, whether it be an election or a national tragedy, or whether it's kind of silly, like Twinkies, is disruptive, right? It's uh, something that you weren't expecting. We know that nothing will ever be the same. So... To recap where we've been, we are in the midst of Advent. And Advent is sort of a fancy church term. Uh, it's the four weeks that lead up to Christmas. It's a, a season of waiting, which is deeply ironic, right? In a world of 
Amazon Prime and uh, all the streaming services you could ever want. Advent tells us to slow down, to, to notice, and to sort of anticipate and wait. It's the start of the, of the Christian year as we celebrate the coming of God, the inbreaking of God into our story. Advent, it teaches us to wait and it teaches us a number of other Christian virtues that we've been discussing. We learn about the virtue of hope, peace, joy, and love. The first week we encountered Elizabeth and Zechariah and how hope was to be a part of that story. The second week we encountered Mary, this unwed, young, teenage mom, uh, sort of down on her luck in a sense, in that society and that standing. And we learned that Mary could use a little peace in her life. And we learned that we could use a little peace in our life. And today we encounter Joseph. And we encounter the virtue of joy. And how does joy shape and form us as a people? So as we look at Joseph, we can realize that Joseph isn't actually in the story of Jesus a whole lot. Right? He's mentioned only a handful of times. He's kind of featured in Matthew because Matthew, if we will recall, is uh, sort of... Uh, Matthew's audience is a Jewish male audience. Matthew is writing to first century Jews trying to convince them about Jesus. So uh, Joseph is featured kind of heavily on the front end of Matthew and the Jesus narrative. If you look at Luke, which features more about the downtrodden and the marginalized, Luke focuses on uh, a lot of women, a lot of main characters in Luke. Uh, so Joseph really isn't mentioned at all uh, in Luke's gospel, except for there's, there's one little place, right, and you might recall this, where like Jesus is like, he's been mis- he's gone. Mary and Joseph misplaced the Son of God. I don't know how they did that, right? But they can't find him. And they're looking for him everywhere. And they find him uh, in his father's home. And Joseph is like, oh, I'm I'm not dad. Okay, I get it. So that's where you find Joseph, sort of on the edge of the Jesus story. It's also important to note that Joseph probably never saw Jesus' public ministry. Uh, He's not really in the latter part of the story. So we assume that Joseph probably died before Jesus began his public ministry. So I look at Joseph's life and the biblical account before us, and I can't help but think, kind of what would I do, right, if I was in Joseph's position? What would I do if I was sitting there and this this kind of angel appeared and, and told me this thing? How would I conduct myself? How would I handle myself in that situation? I think first and foremost, I would have a hard time believing Mary, uh, right? That's uh, some difficult news to stomach, you know, right? The, you, Mary comes and says, uh, so, uh, got some news, uh, love you, Joseph, uh, I'm pregnant, and, and Joseph's like, you're pregnant, I'm, we're, I'll see you later, right? Like, it'd be a hard time to sort of hear those words from Mary. I don't know what I would do. I don't think I would act as graciously as Joseph did. I think, too, that uh, we should know that in that day and age, as the text said, that Joseph had all legal rights to divorce her. 
Uh, and some say, oh, that's kind of harsh, maybe, or maybe not, I don't know. Uh, but in the Torah, if a woman is unfaithful outside the covenant of marriage, the man can break off the betrothal and divorce her and say, I, you, we're not going to be together anymore. Because something is at play here in the background of this story that we don't quite see reading the story in 2017. Um, in the first century, there is a dynamic at play in the culture called an honor and shame dynamic. The object of the game, if you are a family in that time, is to sort of cultivate and create as much honor as possible around your family and your name. Right? You, you work a reputable, honorable occupation, you do honorable things, you treat people honorably, and you increase the honor of your household. Right? Later this would be called prestige, but in this day and age it's called honor and shame. The, same, the opposite is also true, right? If you work a dishonorable profession, you invite shame on your house. And so Joseph has all legal right and probably should set Mary aside and find a good, reputable, upright, righteous woman. But he doesn't. It's very interesting. Looking at the angel... As I imagine sort of being face to face with that, I can't help but wonder what would happen if an angel of the Lord showed up. I'm wondering first, sort of, uh, I'd have to test reality, right? Am I having some sort of psychiatric breakdown that I'm envisioning this? <laughs> I don't know. Joseph seems to be afraid because the angel says, don't be afraid, and then gives some instructions. It's difficult to believe. And even if I did hear the angel, right? If I saw the angel, I was pretty sure I wasn't having a psychiatric episode. If I believe the angel was real, it would be a whole other thing to believe what the angel was actually saying. That's one thing. The angel in the story acts as a messenger of God's will, and the angel helps Joseph stay the course, and the angel intervenes. I think it's a good thing that I'm not Joseph. We'd have a very different story if I was in Joseph's shoes. If it was me in the story, I'm not sure how righteous I would act. It's a little throwaway. I don't know if you caught it in Matthew, if there's ever a little throwaway phrase in the Bible. It says it's Joseph being a, a righteous man. It's a very interesting phrase. I want to fast forward a little bit to Jesus' ministry. In the Gospel of John, you might recall this story. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are at a, a wedding party, right? And they're out of all the good stuff, which is the wine. It's all gone. And um, Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, can you... Um, can you fix this? <laughs> can you do something? Because I don't know how this concerns me. And Mary, you know, being the good mom, is like, you need to fix it, son. And he's like, fine, 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 fine. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And uh, to take a step back, in that time, in that culture, if you were throwing a wedding feast and you ran out of food, the guests had legal grounds to come to you and sue you for throwing a bad party. That was part of the culture, right? The honor and shame dynamic was strongly at play in this culture. And so what Jesus is doing in that miracle is he's not just turning water into wine to say, look what I can do, check it out, cool party trick. He's not doing that at all. What he's doing is he's saving the bridegroom from shame. He's taking the shame on himself. He's saying, you do not need to be ashamed. I will take, I'll, I'll step in and take care of this problem for you. Which makes me wonder, really, where do you think Jesus might, maybe, where might Jesus have learned how to be righteous in hard situations? Joseph, being a righteous man. It's a small little phrase, but Joseph's righteousness 
is something that astounds me. It's a good thing that I'm not Joseph because I think I'd act very differently. I'm not sure how righteous I would be in that situation. Because what does it mean to be righteous, right? Righteousness today it sort of gets a bad rap. Usually it's entitled, it's got that little word that says like, you know, you're, you're self-righteous. Uh, but really righteousness, strictly speaking, is the quality of being morally right before God. It means that we think of others before ourselves. Joseph thinks of Mary's well-being in that society, in that context, and says, I will not allow shame to be what defines you. Rather, I am a, a righteous man, and so she will be a part of my family. Joseph lives into his righteousness. It means that sometimes we take on the shame of others so they don't have to endure it themselves. It's a good thing that I'm not Joseph, because we'd have a very different story. If it was me in the story, I'm not sure I'd be very joyous about the announcement that the angel brings and that Mary has. The story is told when we read that Joseph chooses joy. So what does it mean to choose joy? This is an interesting dynamic at play here, because Joseph could have chose any other sort of emotion, right? He could have chose worry. He could have chose sort of to be anxious around the whole thing. He could have chose to, to, to be a victim of his circumstances. He could have said, uh, Mary, you know, this isn't really working out. I can't believe you did this to me. Or maybe, maybe let's just say that he still accepted Mary, right? But then every year when the family gathered, you know, the stories that come out, can you imagine Joseph being the victim? I said, well, you know, we were going to be a happily ever after family, but your mother had to have an indiscretion. And like, can you imagine Joseph choosing the victim card, right, and playing that out? He doesn't do that at all. Why? Because he chooses joy and because Joseph is a righteous man. I think there's powerful things at play in the story as we pull back the curtain and look at Joseph in the situation. Joy is a choice. It's it's cultivated in us. I think Joseph can teach us a lot. And I wonder if we find ourselves in similar situations that Joseph's in all the time. The temptation, right, is to allow the circumstances to define how we act. And we fail to realize that we have a choice in those circumstances. We could choose to be the victim we could choose to be anxious about something. We could choose to worry about something that never solved any problems. So maybe perhaps what we should do is choose joy. We should allow the, the Holy Spirit to cultivate the virtue of joy in our lives. Because what that does, this is despite or in spite of my circumstances, my posture and my response is going to be one of trusting in God. That God ultimately has a plan, and I need to put my faith and trust in God's actions. And that's a difficult posture to take. Joseph has the cards kind of stacked up against him, right? His wife comes to him and says, I'm pregnant, and he, he can do a number of things, but he says, I'm going to choose to not allow that circumstance to sort of define my family, to define me, but rather I'm going to change the posture of my heart, and I'm going to choose to be a person who exhibits joy and a person who lives into the righteousness that God is calling me to live into.
I wonder if we, as a community, could be agents of joy. If we could help people understand that their circumstances should not define who they are, but rather they have an opportunity to practice joy in the midst of hard news, to practice faithfulness in the midst of difficult situations. How would that shift and change our culture as people, individuals, and how would it shift and change who we are as Chapelwood if we would be messengers of joy in a culture that often prefers to message with fear and marginalization? May we choose joy instead of fear. May we help people recognize that their righteousness is a possibility with God and the help of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? God of grace and truth, we thank you for the day. For your spirit that resides in us and cultivates virtues that are far beyond our sort of default posture. So Lord, may we be people of joy in this season of Advent. May we stand counter-culturally against fear and anxiety and worrying. And may we promote joy as the best way to live. So Lord, give us courage to do so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.